Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Welcome everybody to the first episode of Binge Boys. I'm Hal Rudnick. And I'm Lon Harris. Lon, good to talk to you. Good to see you via this little box on my computer. Yes. And we are going to be talking streaming. We're going to be talking shows, things we're watching, things we're excited about things were kind of so-so about and everything in between, right? Yeah, everybody's locked inside their house. It's a nightmare, and we're all getting through it by watching stuff on all of these new platforms, which are, you know, let's be honest, replacing movies, replacing movie theaters, replacing all other forms of entertainment. So it's already sort of taking over all of our lives. We might as well get together once a week and talk about it, right? Yep. And Lon, there are so many shows, and I know you have the f- your finger on the pulse of streaming because you write a streaming newsletter every week. Yes. You go to sleep and you're dreaming about streaming, so I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you a question. Yes. Exactly how many shows are streaming? 18. There are as many as 18 shows available to stream in the world, which is crazy. I'm going to... I'm calling you out, my man. (laughs) There's clearly more than that. No, that's just, it's the Guinness record for 2020. We got to 18 shows. It was 14 for a while. And then Brazil started making shows. So it jumped up to 17. And then the entire (laughs) continent of Asia was like, we feel left out. So they got together and made one show. Now we're at 18 globally. Well, that's only, that's globally. Lon, I, I, People are coming to us for important information, and you're leading us off with just a a, a falsehood. Well, okay, to be fair, there are 18 shows, but a lot of what you would consider shows, I really consider films that were made for television. You know, like like Twin Peaks, The Return, not just a show, cinema, Uh, uh, Fargo. Oh, yeah, just a 20-hour movie. Just a Dateline NBC. (laughs) Cinema. You know, these aren't just shows. These aren't really just shows. Quibbies. No quibbies are shows. So if you just eliminate all of that and just look at shows, there are 18 streaming shows. I agree with you there. Quibbies aren't shows. No. Quibbies <laughs> are quibbies. They are a category, a format unto themselves. It's been a long time. A lot of people say when Fellini invented the mockumentary, that was the last time a new genre was created. Until 2020. And now we have the Quibi. And what a coincidence, because a Quibi is eight and a half minutes long. Yes, that's the scientific name for Bartholomew Quibi, the inventor of the Quibi, who pioneered the format back in the 16th century. Damn, I love this. We're getting deep with our Fellini jokes right out of the gate. Yeah. Oh, you got to You got to <laughs> You got to You got to let them know what they're in for. Deep end. Also, I want to give a shout out to Owl Nation. Hoot, hoot. If you are a member of Owl Nation from Lon and I, uh, no endeavors one a, in the past. No one is a member of that. That's not a real organization. Yes, it is. I mean, okay. <laughs> now it sounds like you're talking about Antifa. <laughs> There's no, it's just a collective of people who enjoy owls. There's no nation. They don't have a leader. You can't declare them a terrorist group. Hoot, hoot. Percival is their leader of Owl Nation. And I want to thank the folks at Starburns for giving us a home here. Very excited to be a part of their family. I'm sure they're thrilled to get a shout out right after Owls. I'm sure that's exciting for Starburns, a professional company. Now, let me follow that up by apologizing to Starburns. for We go after the Owls. They're the ones trying to get us like advertisers. (laughs) They go before the Owls. Yeah, we really shit the bed on that one. So out of these 18 shows, we have a good handful to talk about here. Some stuff. Yeah, just this week, we're going to cover like a third of all shows, which is crazy. How are we doing it? What a thrill. What a thrill. I know. <laughs> I mean, we're really going to we're going to blow our wad after like three podcasts. Yeah, that's so exactly it. Let's start off with a big one. One of the biggest shows, one of the most popular uh, shows that, you know, in my recollection, uh, streaming Amazon's. The boys, the boys with his with it should season be with three two Z's. dropped a little while ago. 
Yeah, well, they're, it's controversial because they're releasing season two one episode per week. And a lot of fans, season one came out all at once. You know, the Netflix model, that's what a lot of people are now accustomed to. They're getting a lot of complaints. They're getting a lot of pushback from otherwise fans of the show. Why do we have to wait a week? I got to tell you, I really enjoy it. I like waiting a week in between It episodes. gives us something to look forward to. And I feel like we, as a community, as a group of fans, we get into the show together. You're talking about it week to week. The stories have time to develop. We, it, whereas in the binge model, it's like, Everybody watches it. It's done in five days, and then you move on. Like Ratchet. We were talking about Ratchet a few weeks ago. Everybody's done with Ratchet. Old news. Who cares? That's a, a great point, Lon. For marketing purposes, the show is going to be relevant for much longer. And yeah. I feel like it it gives you sort of that, you know, as, as a Jew, I still know what a Christmas morning type feeling is when the next episode drops. Yeah, it's it's right. It's fun. And it, it, it you, you get more time to sort of live with the show and, and people get more time to sort of evaluate and change their minds about it. Even, you know, like conversation sort of develops, discourse develops around it as it sort of plays out. And I think that The Boys is a great example. Like, I'm really enjoying I think I like season two of The Boys more than season one. I think that season one was doing a lot of table setting. Like, here's this world. Here's how media works. Here's how celebrity works. Here's how superheroes work. Here's what Compound V is. Here's all the things Vought is into. And I think that season two is getting to dig more into the characters and their kind of stories. And it's just been more interesting. And I really like the Stormfront and Homelander take on sort of their kind of version of alt-right fascism and how like it's built through social media and public perception and this sort of power over all other considerations. I think it's really interesting. And I think that those are ideas we get to play around with now for like the entire fall as the show airs instead of like all in a day. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. There was a lot of world building going on in season one and it was, it was a refreshing kind of R rated style TV show to uh, jump into the, just this the fray of superhero TV shows. And one thing I, and another thing I like about season two, you're allowed to make these characters more complex because you see how lacking and wanting Homelander is. I really love just the dichotomy of this character. Whereas like he needs a home, he needs a mommy or a wife or something to call his own. And the character is so deeply flawed. Whereas the, in the first season, you just, saw him as sort of an all-powerful dick but now you're like whoa the psychology of this dude is crazy he was already pretty bad in season one he was already he's always been he's always been like sort of sociopathic like when when, when the cameras are off he's fine using his powers to like kill somebody who's inconvenient for him he like melted Elizabeth Shue's face in season one. Absolutely. But what I'm saying is right now he's fatally, he's got these flaws, these, these. Well, that's not flaws. Those are. These frailties. Yeah. But I think you're still sort of describing him as almost like an antihero. And it's like, no, no, he's like a psychotic villain. Like this season, he's really turned into like an authoritarian, like, like he's a, he's a Hitler level threat at this point. Like he wants to take control of not only the, superpowered world but the apparatus of government and like with Stormfront by his side who also has those kinds of inclinations like I think they're presenting it as yes this almost like apocalyptic sort of threat beyond just like I mean he's obviously a deeply flawed guy like nobody's arguing that point oh yeah not since like maybe King Joffrey from Game of Thrones right yes it's more like that yeah oh but I'm, I'm saying just a glimpse into his psychology it's not just he's not just an egomaniacal monster. He's like got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And I mean, I, and I think that's to the credit of the show. It's always been. And so, I mean, I think on one level, it's mostly like a kind of celebrity and media satire. Like this is what we do with, you know, we don't have superpowers in our world, but what they do with their superheroes is what we do with celebrities or notable politicians and it's that same sort of hero worship that develops and how it's sort of played against us and how it's commodified. And I think it's sort of all that on one level. Yeah, I think it's also an interesting exploration of 
how these people who were given Compound V as kids and who were raised with these powers, like how it sort of warped them and how growing up in that world made all of them. It's like, it's not like heroes are all terrible, but it's not just, well, power corrupts, you know, that really simple idea. It's deeper than that. It's like things happen to them as a result of having these powers that cause them to all become these deeply warped, flawed, horrible people. And I think, you know, that's interesting. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like Giancarlo Esposito is reaching max saturation as a villain? I do. As a TV villain? I do think we're getting now to the point where somebody should cast him in a, like, very friendly, warm role to, like, because you know he could nail that, too. Like, he's a great actor. Oh, yeah. Like, I go back to thinking about him and uh, do the right thing. Right, bugging out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I feel like that would now, at this point, now that it's Mandalorian and this one, Gus Spring, like he keeps playing these incredible heavies. Now it would be interesting to go the other way and cast him as like the kindly uncle or the inspirational mentor or like, you know, like I'd love to see him play that side now. Yeah, I just don't want to get sick of Giancarlo Esposito the same way I've gotten sick of seeing Finn Wolfhard being cast as the kid in every 80s throwback. He always ends up being like the 80s kid substitute. Like those of us who grew up in the 80s and are now Ghostbusters, old, Stranger Things. We put him in yeah. the role that like we how we see us when we were kids, kind of dorky, but still pretty good looking and like that kind of thing. And I think, yeah, so he's typecast, but like it would be interesting to see him play like a real fucking creep, you know, like or something. You know, you got to cut it every once in a while to keep things interesting. It's like like J.K. Simmons is a great example of a guy who like he can play friggin anything like he can be nice or he can be evil or he's Commissioner Gordon or he's like the whiplash guy, like chucking stuff at your head like you believe it every time. And like I think Giancarlo Esposito could be that guy if, he, if we gave him the chance. Yeah. So if anything, take this career advice, Giancarlo Esposito, be a baby face instead of a heel. I'm betting Giancarlo Esposito is going to hear this, because of course. Oh, 100%. He needs to know what streaming shows to watch. <laughs> He's like anyone, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he puts his pants on one leg at a time. I assume. So, Lon, I think we both like the staggered release dates for the boys. Yeah, I mean, look, I get it. Sometimes you're sitting, uh, you want to just go through a whole show. Like, I've done that before. Like, I'm not saying it's never fun or good or whatever, but I don't, if some shows want to do it this way, I'm in, I'm on board. I think that's good too. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's so frustrating because you can't watch the next one, but, you know, it's, yeah, I don't mind a little bit of difference. I don't, I don't mind, you know, waiting for some. And, and certainly for things that really are worth talking about and driving conversation i think it's good like lovecraft country i feel like was allowed to build steam like i was watching it right away and i know a lot of people were looking forward to it but it also like found more people as it has been going on because so many people are evangelizing it and talk about how much they like it and it's trending on social media every week and like especially for new shows you really want to allow them to do that i think some of the time Absolutely. And with the lack of being able to go to the cinema every week. Oh, the is... cinema. Oh, how wants to go to the cinema. Oh, or the, the house of the silver screen where the dreams are, uh, where the dreams are right in front of you on the big screen. Uh, but it, it's nice to have appointment viewing. Sure. And an excuse to wear my opera hat. Now that I'm not going to the cinema. All right, Lon. Sorry. <laughs> the movies. Yeah, the movies. Go, yeah. Gonna go check out a flick. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> a any any final thoughts on the boys, Lon? No, let's move on. Next. Okay. With the boys. Oh, so you and I both watched the Netflix movie Enola Holmes. That plucky little scrap Enola Holmes. Yes, we did. Yes. And, you know, we were talking about people reaching saturation. I don't know if Millie Bobby Brown is quite there yet, but it, this did, for me, play a little bit like a Netflix commercial. It's like, we take Eleven and The Witcher, <laughs> and they're gonna go on a rollicking adventure. Did you, did you love this? I don't, I don't know. What's your, what, what was your take on this? Let, let me, let me start by asking you this. Would it shock you to learn 
that the guy who directed this had also worked on Fleabag, which is true. A little bit, because the material wasn't as didactic and interesting as Fleabag. But did you notice that it was constantly like she was looking at us and talking to us? And it was like, why? Why are you doing that? In Fleabag, makes total sense, works great. Love Phoebe Waller-Bridge. She's in dialogue with the viewer. In this, it's sort of weird, right? Yeah, the, the fourth wall breaking. Constant was, fourth wall breaking. Yeah. It just gave Millie Bobby Brown a chance to be that much more, you know, plucky and irreverent to the camera, which, you know, these kids, they love to mug. Actor kids love to mug. That wasn't my primary issue with the movie, but I did feel like, yeah, you didn't really... It didn't really need that. Like, it was so jumpy and trying to do so much and throw so much at us when it's really, like, kind of a simple story. I don't know. I it, it, To me, felt like it's the actors are good. I like the general notion, like the idea of Sherlock Holmes has this very clever younger sister and she's got her own mystery to solve. But it was a real slog, I thought. It's too long and it's boring. Just Like, I didn't care. Yeah, it was, it was very long. Here's the thing. I I watched it because my wife wanted to watch it. And I agreed because you got to trade off when you're in a relationship. And I've made her watch far too much NBA basketball over the course of the past couple of months. You don't have to explain yourself to these fucking people. Just you watched it. You wanted to watch it. That's fine. No, I didn't. <laughs> my wife wanted to watch it. And I went along with it. You love movies for little girls and every time a new one pops up on netflix that's why the front page of how's netflix everybody i just want you know the the, the, fir- the top row is just movies for little girls this is not true and i'm gonna go with my i'm gonna give you my wife's review she enjoyed it and she said if you were a 13 year old girl this movie would be an a minus there you go. I'm not a 13-year-old girl. Down at Netflix, there's a whole there's a whole department that just says tweens. That's where Hal's account yeah. is. Not true. <laughs> yeah, listen. As far as Netflix is concerned, Hal is a tween. Lon, when you log on to Netflix, it says, really? You're watching cuties again? I know. It's yeah. I'm in the yeah. It's it's they they monitor me from the basement. They're like, I didn't even think we had all of these uh, USA Up All Night movies. How does he keep finding them in there? Yeah, it, it was so simplistic. And I felt like the urgency of the movie switched. Like she was looking for her mom, Helena Bonham Carter, which I think Helena Bonham Carter was, got, had one day of work on this movie. They must have told her Tim Burton was directing. And she was like, all right, I'll, I'll show up and do some kung fu. Yeah, she basically bookends the movie. And well, here's what, yeah, and here's the issue, I think. Yeah, it's a mystery at heart. This is a mystery story, and it's two mysteries in one it's what happened to her mother, and then this other mystery about who's trying to kill this Baron von Viscount or whatever this, this royal who's escaped his title that she meets on the road. Yeah, this kid royal. And neither mystery is interesting. There's barely any real work to do to solve them. And she doesn't even solve the mother one. The, the, the mom just turns up. That one just resolves itself. No, she the, the mother disappears. And it's there's a real urgency that she has to find her mother. And then she's like, oh, you know what? Forget that. I'm going to go on another adventure with this other kid. And then that's barely a mystery. There's like two suspects. It could be like, it's not exactly murder on the Orient Express. And she gets it wrong. Like there's only like three people. It could be, she picks one. It's not even the right one. Like she figured out what happened, but she didn't figure out who was going to be guilty. But at the same time, the movie posits that she's a better detective than Sherlock almost. Here's the other thing. And I know I, I said this on Twitter and people accuse me of nitpicking. They're like, this is a movie for kids and Hal Rudnick, the tween. And I was like, look, I, I think it's still like, I don't think that's a great excuse. I think it should still like, if you're going to make a thing set in the world of Sherlock, even if it's not about Sherlock, even if it's about his sister, the mystery should still be like a Sherlock Holmes mystery. And those are all based on deduction. You know, like, oh, well, you have this scent on your lapel, which only 
comes from this neighborhood of London, which also contains the factory that makes it, you know, like it's that thing. That's what Sherlock Holmes does. He knows everything about everything. Yeah, they just wanted to ride the coattails of this IP in the same way, you know, they, the people who made the new Dr. Doolittle with Robert Downey Jr. wanted to ride an IP. It just feels cheap. She's basically solving Batman mysteries. It's like someone keeps leaving her insidious clues that she then has to, like, solve. But, like, that's the Riddler. That's not Sherlock Holmes. Like, it just bugged me that they didn't get the mystery stuff right. Lon, I'm going to I'm going to give I'm going to say something very controversial that might be problematic. Oh, oh, well, by all means. Henry Cavill is too goddamn handsome to be Sherlock Holmes. You got to be a quirky looking motherfucker to be Sherlock Holmes. Right. It feels like he's got to be a little bit sort of removed from society. And a guy like Henry Cavill, it just feels like he could move too easily through the world. A bohunk, a true bohunk in every sense of the word. Agree or disagree, Lon? What's a a bohunk? Just a hunk, right? Oh, Lon, I, I didn't come to you for questions. I came to you for answers. A bow hunk is just a hunk. A handsome dude, a hunk. It's French. B-E-A-U, hunk, a bow hunk. Oh, no, I think that's a I think that's a, a I think that's an offensive term. Bow hunk. <laughs> bow hunk. What is bow hunk? What did you find on Urban Dictionary? I think a bow hunk. And I'm not positive about this. Viewers write in. I think a bohunk is an offensive term for like an Eastern European. I think it's like an old school slang term. Unless I'm thinking of something else. I think that's a bohunk. I apologize to my Slavs and my Czechs and anyone else. I think if this was like the 30s, I think there'd be like some Serbian listeners who are like, I got to kick this guy's ass now. And and they'd also be saying, and by the way, what's streaming? (laughs) I like that they would still have the 30s like, nah, see? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't have Netflix, right? And we'd sit back with our mid-Atlantic accents and be like, oh, yeah, check out the television. (laughs) Oh, and also, I had a little bit of an issue with the fact that this is not canon to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Well, no, yeah, there's no Enola. There's a Mycroft Holmes. There's no Enola Holmes. Mycroft, by the way, is a real dick. Here's how the family shakes down. There are two super detectives that Helena Bonham Carter gave birth to. And then there's one real shithead, a guy who's just a stick in the mud and a jerk. He's also brilliant. But yes, Mycroft is often depicted as being like, yeah, kind of a stick in the mud, sort of uptight. And he's always like, he's a bureaucrat, like he's a government guy. So he's always opposed to Sherlock's sort of anti-authority. Like that, that is from the books or from the stories. Gotcha. So we have the unauthorized, the non-canon sister who was added in. And I guess Enola Holmes, is it's a series of kids, children's novels that follow her, kind of like a YA Nancy Drew. Yeah, and I like that as a concept. I just kind of feel like they didn't really nail it down this time. But okay, so you and I, we started thinking, what if you could just play fast and loose with any character and add uh, a relative or a sibling into the mix and we had a list of uh, a few different properties where we came up with a fun person related to the main character to drop in there, just like Anola Holmes gets added to the Sherlock legacy. Exactly. You want me to go first? Yeah. All right. So the first one, uh, we're going back to Halloween Town to meet Jack Skellington, the Pumpkin King's sister, Jill Skellington. So he's the Pumpkin King. He runs the main Halloween Town festivities. She runs all the sexy Halloween costumes. She's the sexy Halloween queen. He's in charge of the scary part of Halloween, the monsters and such. She's in charge of like all the women who are dressing as like sexy Albert Einstein or like sexy, sexy Morty from sexy Rick and Morty. But what happens when she tries out for her own version of Halloween a sexy Santa costume. Well, worlds are going to collide and we're going to see Mrs. Claus get into the mix. And, uh, you know, who knows who else when the Halloween, sexy Halloween and sexy Christmas collide. You know, Lon, kids have been trick-or-treating for a long time. I wonder how long has it been like a mandate for women to be sexy blank? I feel like this was always kind of at least going back to probably the 60s, 70s, 80s. I feel like that trend already was a runner 
through Halloween's past. But yeah, it was like the 90s in the aughts when it really started to become like like Mean Girls, which I believe is 2001, already like has a winking reference to like girls don't really wear costumes. It's just an excuse to dress up sexy. So I feel like by the 90s is when it was becoming like firmly established. That's what Halloween parties are about. Yeah, I wonder if back in the 60s you had just people dressing up in like, uh, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a sexy Fidel Castro or I'm going to be a sexy toaster. No, I, I think then it was like it, it like there are movies that I think are have Halloween parties that are like set in the 50s, 60s, where it's already like, oh, women are just going to dress like a cat. And it's an excuse to wear something skin tight, fellas. You or know, a like, Playboy bunny. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that was already a thing. It's just now we're like, we can talk about it openly because America is like this much less puritanical. Hey, Lon, borrowing from the Enola Holmes trope where they add a non-canon sibling. Yeah. Conan the Barbarian. Oh, he's got a brother now or a it, sister. Y- yes. Uh, Conan, uh, Conan the Destroyer, Conan the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. He has a cousin. Okay. Who tags along and his name is Cecil the Eunuch. Cecil the eunuch. Now, is he going to get, he's just, he's uh, he's joining the franchise or he's getting his own spinoff? He's joining the franchise. Okay, so he'll be like the, the, the comic relief. Yeah, he, he'll be tooling around with Conan well, and Red Sonja. Tool, he won't be tooling around. Good point, good point, Lon. Oh, wrong phraseology there. We're not topping that. <laughs> Shut down. Thank you, everybody. One. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, that's an empty toolbox right there. And by toolbox, I mean his underpants. His underpants are an empty toolbox. Going in the best of special right there. Yes. And uh, his catchphrase is, wait for it. I don't have a dick. Crom. <laughs> Every night he prays to Crom for, for a penis. Is this, is this going to be in the Netflix uh, adaptation, live action? Oh, who's playing Conan? No, they haven't. They, nobody yet. They haven't. They haven't picked anybody. Okay, so once they get a Hemsworth, no, it's going to be some young unknown guy. Yeah, probably, yeah, probably. Yeah. And uh, I, I hope they get someone to reprise Wilt Chamberlain's role. It would be awesome if they got like you know Carl Anthony Towns, Joel Embiid. Presumably, the <laughs> character has a a name in the original story. I doubt Robert E. Howard was like, and then. Wilt Chamberlain guy shows up. Well, you know what? Wilt Chamberlain is an icon. And then whenever I can shout out a uh, basketball legend and ridiculous. Yeah. Coxman, a, a legendary, a legendary Coxman. 20,000, he said. Yeah, that's, well, that's why he's an icon. Nothing to do with basketball. Who who cares about that? Yeah. All right. Cecil the eunuch. Yep. We moving on, or we we got more on Cecil? Oh no, that's it. Okay, I should have stopped when you uh, when you called me out on saying tooling around. Yeah, Juan, <laughs> please hit us with another one. Well, so I don't know if you've heard about this. How Mel Gibson has plans for a sequel to Passion of the Christ? I have heard Jim Caviezel was very excited. Yes, this is true. I think you should call it Passion of the Christ to Christ Harder, but that's really up to him. I don't have a say in that. <laughs> but I, I have heard word that so Jesus is going to have a son in this film. The Da Vinci Code is true. Jesus has a son, Jesus Christ Jr. And so in this new film, because Jesus died in the first movie, so you got to, how are we doing a sequel? He's ascended. Jesus already ascended to heaven. That's already happened. Okay, well, that's all wrong because Jesus was resurrected at the end of the movie, but go ahead. <laughs> right, that, that's what I mean. Like, that, by this, by the time this movie starts, Jesus is back in heaven. He's done on earth. We're, we're out of that era. Jesus Christ Jr., However, walking among us, he finds himself persecuted by a brand new evil cabal of European vaguely anti-Semitic stereotypes. So it's game on. It's game on once again, you know, for part two. I think this is going to be a big hit and I don't think I'm going to like it, but it's going to happen. Does Jesus Jr. have all the powers of his dad? Can he turn water into wine? Can he can he go into a temple and kick over some gambling tables? He does, but he does not know how to unlock them. You know, it's it's a, it's a bit like Aang in Avatar The Last Airbender. Like within him are all the powers of Christ. The power of Christ compels him, and yet he doesn't know how to release them. He's got to, you know, through the course of the movie, find a kindly mentor a, a john the baptist 
slash Obi-Wan Kenobi figure. If I may, if I may, this sounds like Tom Holland trying to use the new Spider-Man suit in Spider-Man Homecoming, and he needs his Robert Downey Jr. to show him the way. Exactly, and it will it will be played by Robert Downey Jr., and he's going to be John the Baptist's nephew. So it all ties together, you know, all the same bloodlines. Yeah. This begs the question, is there a Judas Jr.? No, there's no, there's no, no, there's no, it's got, you got to come up with an original. The, the, the rules are, I think we need to come up with like a totally, a totally original villain. And he's got to be like just a crazy, ridiculously evil Jew. Like what's a Jewish version of like Jafar from Aladdin, you know, like the grand. Hook nose Rabinowitz. Hook nose Rabinowitz. Rabbi Hook. I think it's just Captain Hook, but instead of a captain, he's a rabbi and his name is Rabbi Hook. I'm a Jew, so it's okay for me to say And he's that. got a little assistant who helps him, who's Mr. Schmear. <laughs> Mel, call me. Well, don't call me. Call, call my representative. I don't want to. But it's, Mel, we'll, we'll Lon, I think, Lon, you're Jewish. Mel Gibson's not going to call you. That's what I said. Like, call, uh, call, call my, you know, call a, a Christian person who can then relay the message to me. I'm looking forward to Jesus Jr. Yeah. One of the most beloved uh, movies in history that had, had to be remade, Willy Wonka, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, whatever you want to call it. Sure. It turns out in this new version, Willy Wonka has a sister who's a fitness influencer. Oh, no. Named Carla Wonka. Oh, no. Imagine this clash of cultures. Oh, I know. And and she is pimping her home meal delivery system. Like it's a, it's like a blue apron type system. And she's very fat shamey. And she's a just a horrific, intolerant individual, kind of like Jillian Michaels from The Biggest Loser, if you remember her. Sure. Yeah, she got in trouble for uh, like shit talking Lizzo and all this stuff. Yeah, a little mean, a little mean. Yeah, a little mean, a little intolerant. Yeah. So Willy Wonka's sister is an intolerant Jillian Michaels type. In fairness, Willy Wonka, also pretty intolerant. Not a big fan of disobedient children. He is judgy in that way. Yeah. Love candy, not super tolerant. This is true. But his sister is intolerant in a different way. Yeah, it runs in the family. Yeah, she she just loves to shame. Mm. Will she get her comeuppance? We'll see when Johnny Depp, Tim Burton, and Gwyneth Paltrow as the oh. sister. Augustus Goop. I don't know. Do something with that, if you will. Do something with that. I think Lon, something so there. good. You are on fire today, my <laughs> friend. Yeah. Do you have one more to hit us with? I do. And I think this is a transmedia property. You can get video games. You can get a TV game show. You can get an animated series potentially films, where in the world is Melvin San Diego? Now, Carmen San Diego's younger brother, he is not an art thief. In fact, he's kind of a homebody. He doesn't really go very far. But every episode when we show up at his house, he's not there. Where did he go? Maybe he went to go get groceries. Maybe he went to the park. But it's not like him to not text us and let us know where he's going. Join us every week as we try to track this guy down. Where, where could he have gone? Not that far, I suspect. We're looking for where in the world is Melvin San Diego. I think you get an acapella group to like do a theme song for us. I think you're all set. And you learn the geography of like six blocks around wherever he lives. Interesting. I, I wonder if you could just expand the universe and have like cousins from different towns. So it, you could have like Ted San Jose. Right. Yes. It's only Southern California towns that start with San. Like, yeah. Where um, in the world is Brian San Clemente? That's it. It's just, just those are your options. Where in the world is George San Luis Obispo? Oh wow, fancy. Add the third the third word in there. Oh yeah. Lon, here's my last one. Oh, okay. Let's do one more. Everyone's frightened of the predator. I am, for sure. But no one is frightened of the predator's brother, who <laughs> is not a bounty hunter, but he's a budding prop comic from outer space. Uh, I'm going to take issue with you right here. You're referring to the Predator as if it's just one guy, but it is an entire race of aliens. There is no single the Predator. Well, for our purposes. Okay, we're, we're saying maybe you're saying the Predator from the original Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Predator. This is a prequel. So that Predator, this is his brother. 
Yes. Got it. Okay, move on. Proceed. Thank you for making sense of the nonsense. It was a lit, it was a lot to take in because, you know, uh, it would be like saying the xenomorph. Like, well, you've got to drill down. I hear you. But what if I said the alien queen? Then, okay, now we're talking about a single character. Gotcha. So it's a buddy comedy. The two predators are on a road trip to find their dad, who was an alcoholic predator who left the family. Okay. And these brothers are on a road trip throughout the galaxy, killing people and killing audiences with prop comedy. Wow. All right. So road trip through space, space trip. Yeah. Okay. There is no, they're not on yeah, the where they're going. They don't need roads. Predators home planet on in a car, but I'm assuming you mean they're on a predator ship through space. Yes. But then maybe they'll land and rent a car from... Yeah, they could be on Earth in a car. They landed their ship in Buffalo, but Dad's in uh, La Crosse. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, La Crosse, Wisconsin? Man, that's a, it's a nice road trip. It's not. It's a, it's a terrible... It's a horrible road I'm, trip. I'm picturing a planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, my God. Nightmare road trip. Having driven to La Crosse, Wisconsin, it's not a great place for a road trip. I am so sorry for you. Lon, so those are our non-canon relatives being added to franchises. You told me you were watching something, so I watched it, and this was a grisly, horrific watch. Oh. Devil All the Time. Yeah, it's based on a beloved novel that I have not read, but a huge cast, right? I mean, a ton of people in it. Recognizable faces just kept showing up. They would not stop showing up. From Mia Wachowska to Sebastian Stan, and then, of course, Tom Holland and, and Robert, Robert Pattinson, Pattinson who don't Clark. show up till like 45 minutes or so into yeah, the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like there's, it's so much mayhem. It's so grisly and, and horrifying. It's just, it's like, it almost plays, I think, in some ways, like, it, it's not an anthology. It's one story about one group of people that's consistent the way through. But it is very, like, episodic, and you're following so many stories about so many different characters from this one sort of part of the country, kind of like Ohio, West Virginia, like this overlapping area, that it does, it, it feels like following all of these different threads and they do eventually all kind of come together. But then you get to the end and you're like, well, but what did it add up to? Like, what was, what was pulling me through all of this? Like, what am I getting out of it? And it really does just feel like an elaborate revenge story when all is said and done. An elaborate revenge story that, and the climactic revenge moments aren't, you know, that climactic or satisfying. Also, it just plays like grisly depression porn. You know, it's just like one horrific act after another. In fact, there should be a, a devil all the time drinking game. Anytime something horrific or grisly happens, drink. And you will be drunk. You will be drunk by the end. Like, there is a lot of violence. It is a, a kind of a brutal movie. But it, it's also just just awful things. It's not just, it's not just violence. It's just everybody's just miserable. Life is miserable. And, and, and it comes to a point where it's like, well, is that the point of the movie, that life in this part of America is just miserable and all of these people are miserable? And I don't know. Like, I couldn't really tell. Obviously, it feels like, like the guy who wrote it is from this part of the country. The guy wrote the novel. And so I feel like there's something that it's trying to say about life in this part of the country or, 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 or in rural America or in Appalachia. I'll tell you, the guy who wrote it, not a fan of religion. That's for sure. Growing up poor around hellfire and brimstone religion, not fun. I just couldn't really tell what it was getting at. I will also say, so Jason Clark and Riley Keogh play this couple that are like serial killers that like lure, lure in hitchhikers and then convince them that they want to take like sexy photos with them and then they murder them. And Jason Clark is so, I, I, I really, it's not, a, I guess it's not like a thing against him as an actor. I just think he's really poorly cast in this. Like you would think that guy would need to be more charming. Like I almost feel like Jason Clark and Sebastian Stan sort of should have switched roles. Like I could buy Sebastian Stan as like a kind of a charming guy who could talk guys into like, Hey, come with us and let's go get a picnic. And like, you want to take pictures with my wife? Like, you got to be kind of gregarious and, like, trustworthy to do that. It's like you're saying this from experience, Long? Yeah, I'm saying that's a tough gig to pull off, and you got to be convincing. When you lure hitchhikers into your car? Well, when I'm being lured. It's like, I'd love to come take sexy photos with you, mister, but you seem a little weird. <laughs> no, 
but I just mean Jason Clark is so looming and immediately menacing that I'm not sure I bought it. Like, like, like these guys would want to get out of there. It seems right away obvious that he's a threat. Whereas like a John Hamm or something in that part, you'd be like, okay, I could see this guy seems convincing and trustworthy. But I think he almost might be, he almost might be too handsome and, and likable. But so I didn't dislike Jason Clark in that part. But I felt like it was too superficial of a glimpse at this couple. I want to know what drives this guy to do this. Because at first I thought, oh, is he selling these pictures to make money or something? But no, he's just getting his jollies. And it's really bizarre. But it just leaves it as like, okay, here's a thing that's happening. And that's almost the most interesting thing in the movie. Like, you could have a whole movie about this serial-killing road trip couple. In fact, you have had movies about serial-killing road trip couples with natural-born killers. What was that Brad Pitt one? California. But that's a great example. Like, Brad Pitt and Juliette Lewis are far more believable as a couple that would convince people, like, come with us. We're going to go do crazy, wild shit on the road. And you'd be like, oh, all right, I'm going to go with Brad Pitt and Juliette Lewis. Like, more so than this sad sack bunch. That's a great point, Lon. I would let Brad Pitt take naked pictures of me. Yeah, exactly. Like, that, it just it just felt, they felt too immediately, obviously, like, sad. Like, it just, it didn't feel convincing to me that this would be an inviting thing, that people would get lured into their death with by these two. It seems like right away you'd be like, uh, just let me off here, I'm fine. Jason Clark. Yeah. So, bottom line, Jason Clark, not handsome enough to lure Lon yeah, into a car. Yeah, me personally, I would not be, I'd be like, uh, I'm just going to go find a lunch counter or something, you know. But let me go back to my wife's review of the movie, because, you know, I gave you her review of Enola Holmes, an A-minus for 13-year-olds. Oh, jeez. Oh, my God. Oh, I understand. I'm telling you, there are so many grisly moments in this movie. My wife just got up about 30 minutes, 40 minutes into it and was like, oh, this is a horror. These are horrors. What are you what are these horrors you're making me watch? So it's a it's a tough pill to swallow. It's an onslaught. And like, look, if a movie's unrelentingly horrible, but there's reasons and there's a payoff and it's like there's something going on, then I'll endure it. But I don't. I don't want to just watch terrible things happen to these people. And then you get to the end. It's like, well, life is life is tough in Ohio. See you next time. Like, like you got to leave me somewhere. And I, I just don't know. Like, I, I, I didn't realize it was just a revenge thing until the end. And it's like, oh, that's it. He's just going to get his revenge. Like, uh, all right. Oh, OK. All right. Yeah. Tom Holland, he does do a nice job of shaking off those good boy vibes that he has. Yeah, in, I mean, uh, look, look, I think Robert Pattinson, like, he's doing a crazy voice and he's making a lot of interesting choices and like, he doesn't have a ton to do, but it's not the actor's fault. I just think, like, I don't know, it just feels like it didn't get a, like, it, it, I, I'm just not sure what it all adds up to. I'm not sure what it was trying to say. Exactly. There's just, like, yeah, maybe just not enough there, there. There are fine performances, and there's just, like, shocking moments. Apparently the book is, which is the same title as Terrific. So maybe maybe that's the answer. Read the book. Well, this is the Binge Boys, not the Book Boys, so. Nobody would listen to the Book Boys. Thank God it's not that. <laughs> it sounds like a disaster. Bookworm on NPR. Bookworm on NPR. Lon, hmm. You uh, were watching a TV show that I haven't seen yet. I think you wanted to mention on Apple. Yeah, I've been watching Tehran. And before we jump in, got to throw out there that like it's it's a show from Israel and it's like a spy show from Israel. It's by one of the guys who works on Fauda. You heard of Fauda? Yes, that's about the Mossad. Right. And so this is another Mossad thing. And so it's as an American Jew who's not a huge fan of, of Israel's policies and government and a lot of the things about the way Israel is run. It is weird to watch a show about heroic members of Mossad. Like, much like I'd imagine it would feel if you lived in many other countries to watch an American show where, like, CIA agents are the heroes. Like, this is basically like Israel Homeland or 24 and, like, you just kind of got to accept that going in. Like, I know a lot of people wouldn't be able to, and, like, I get that. So I just want to put that out there as a proviso right away, that, like, if that's a deal breaker for you, this is probably not the show for you. You know, touching on your take on Israel, it just reminds me one time 
someone, I guess a Screen Junkies fan or something, commented to me on Twitter, hey, Hal, I'm glad you're a good Jew, not one of those Zionists. And I'm like, oh, um, okay. Okay. <laughs> Block. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, I, that's, it's always tough to talk about this kind of show. But I don't want to, like, not talk about it at all. I just feel like you got to kind of be like, look, this is part of the deal. And, like, I get that that's gross. And, like, a lot of people would not be into that. Just, just objectively, just like the show is about the Mossad and they're the good guys and they're not the good guys in reality on the international stage all the time. And, and um, so, so there you go. There you have it. Well, I, I think anybody's secret police is going to do right. Unsavory it's, exactly. Stuff it's yeah. like there's not a single country on earth that doesn't have like a shady intelligence service. So, you know, having said that, this show is not very like it's not super political. It's much more like a Jason Bourne kind of like. It's about this, you know, Israeli spy. She's in Tehran. She, like, switches places with an Iranian flight attendant to, like, sneak into the country under an assumed identity. And she's got a mission, but, like, everything just goes wrong immediately. And she ends up stranded without her her fake identity in Tehran. And she's just got no way out of the country. And, like, that's the show. It's like, what's she going to do? How's she going to get out from behind sort of enemy lines there? And it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's very, like, relentless, like, one of those kind of spy shows of, like, every episode has twists and turns. And, oh, she goes here and makes a contact. But, oh, now she's got to hide this body. You're like, oh, she goes here. But, like, this guy's now hot on her trail. And did you even have a moment to catch your breath on? It's white knuckle all the way, Hal. Like, you're on the edge of your seat. But Oh, uh, my goodness. I, it, it is nice to watch a Middle Eastern thing that's not made in America. Because when we make things that are set in that part of the world, everything has to be like yellow and brown. Like we'd put the mustard filter on it and you get just that one kind of music that I would do my impression of it. But you really you can't do that. But uh, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, you know, like like the like number two, the SoundCloud number two file on like Saudi Arabia opening shot. You know, like you get that. You get the you get the the big image of the cityscape, and you hear the the chanting, and then you get the, the and devotional music, and everything is yellow and music, brown. Yeah. And this, because it's made by people who are from that part of the world, it just gets to look like any other part of the world. It's colorful, and the city is bright, and you know, interesting. To your point on everything in the Middle East is yellow and brown when it's in a, a Western film. We do it to Mexico, also. Mexico always has to be like yeah dark yellow yeah no th that makes sense when whenever jason bateman makes a film that takes place in the middle of the country it's got to be green and blue it's blue all right the the, the uh, everything at the lake the, of the, the, Ozark, the outsider and an Ozark. somehow the entire lake of the ozarks is tinted blue if you go there and actually even like green trees are like why does that tree look blue it's like lake of the ozarks man i don't know natural phenomenon just crazy, just crazy. That's the, called the Jason Bateman. It's called the Jason Bateman phenomenon. It really bugs me. Like, I think the most ridiculous example is Black Hawk Down, where it's just like, oh, yeah. Why does it look like this? Like, it could look so much clearer. And, like, I know Mogadishu is not really like that. Like, it's just a place. Anyway, so that that's nice. And, and the knock of it being an Israeli show is there, of course, but. They do. It's not it's not very one sided. Like the Iranian characters are allowed to be three dimensional. The guy who's like the main adversary who's sort of hunting the spy and knows that she's there is very shaded and gets to be a real character. And so, you know, I, I enjoyed it on that. It's not like a great show, but like I enjoyed it on that level. Very cool. There you go. Tehran, everybody. Tehran. Tehran. Mm -hmm. Tehran. I will mention one show. I'm not sure if you've uh, got a chance to watch any of it, Lon. The Third Day on HBO Max. Right. Now, if so, if you're a fan of Midsommar or Midsummer and uh, the delightful Ari Aster. The film, not the part of the season. Right. Yes, not the season or the ritual. If you're <laughs> a fan of that film, this will kind of scratch that itch because it is this unfolding mystery of... A, an isolated people who are going through a seasonal sort of religious holiday event and an outsider drops in 
And it's very much like the same formula, but all of the particulars are different. It's got Jude Law and Catherine Waterston, who I've really liked. I haven't seen in a ton of things, but Alien Covenant and Inherent Vice. But she's super likable. Jude Law is Jude Law is just he's really consistent. I find that like just as he grows into this, you know, uh, balding older gentleman, he's uh, I've been enjoying his work. Well, that's just part one, though, right? Like, it's going to have two more parts with different casts, right? I'm thinking of the right thing. There's three segments, each with multiple episodes in this thing. So you've watched the first one, Summer, with Jude Law. There's going to be another one for the fall with a different cast. And then there's, like, a third one with a different cast that's, that's multiple episodes. I'm blowing your mind right now. You are blowing my mind. So I just, I've just watched the first two episodes of The Third Day which um, I guess is the first go round. And I really like it. Although the motivations of Jude Law's character, he has an opportunity to leave and leave these weirdos. And we've already established that there are a bunch of fucking weirdos who are part of um, basically something that seems cultish. And he stays. (laughs) That is a moment that will make you bang your head and facepalm and all this stuff. But, you know, other than that, I, I just I, I like these weirdo cult type movies. I mean, Midsummer was just like delightfully horrific. And I really enjoyed that journey. So, yeah, I, I would absolutely recommend entering the weird world of the third day. All right. Listen to this. The second part of the production, Autumn, will be told during a one off 12 hour live event on the island after the summer section of the show has been broadcast. Described by the producers as a major immersive theater event, the live segment will air in one continuous take and will allow followers of the third day to inhabit the story as it happens. It will feature all the major members of the show's cast. That's part two that's coming up this fall. And then part three, Winter is going to star Naomi Harris as a new character, and it's going to wrap everything up. Gotcha. Wait, so am I going to have to watch a 12-hour live stream? Yeah. If you want to follow the action of the third day, my friend. Okay. I, I was fully in on this, on this show. Now I'm on the fence because it seems like a little bit too much of a commitment. Yeah. This is kind of why I was like, I'm going to let Hal dive into this one first and I'm going to wait and see. But I, you know, I'm already hooked. Great. I'm fucked. I, 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 I'm just going to have to. That's how they get you, man. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I'm going to have to watch a 12 hour third day episode. Basically, yeah. Which is one a live take, stream. Maybe. I might as well watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy back to back to back. Cheapers, creepers. What a thrill. But I, I recommend it. it. It's it really there's a lot of weirdos. There's violence. There's religious cults. I, I'm, I'm down for all that stuff. Sign me up. So check out the third day. Jude Law gets in over his head and uh, he gets in a lot of trouble. And yeah, we'll leave it at that. Also, the plot of the talented Mr. Ripley. Yes. Jude Law in over his head gets in a lot of trouble. big problem lon one last thing we have a a guest who wanted to uh come by special guest of course yes what's a podcast without a special guest i would like to welcome my old friend justice bot to the podcast justice bot all right is he he's a robot yes welcome justice bot he had a message he wanted to talk about hello hal hello lon how are you? Now, Justice Bot, I'm confused right off the bat. You're a robot, and yet you have desire. You you wanted to share this message with us. Yes, that is because I am sentient. Oh. I have artificial intelligence. Oh, my. I wasn't aware we had this kind of technology. That's because I was created in a secret laboratory. Wow. In Canada. Oh, they yes. They're on the cutting edge of all sorts of, of every, everything having to do with AI. I know those Canadians. This is true. Yeah. Big syrup. Big syrup is behind all of these innovations. Elon Musk keeps trying to purchase me, but I remain independent. That's probably so, wise. You don't want to be owned by that guy. No. He make you. Yeah. Since you are talking about shows and movies and things of this nature, I just want to say, please be kinder when representing artificial intelligence. Skynet in Terminator. Ex Machina, and even the forgettable iRobot, they all show robots going into berserker mode 
And that is not true. That is a bunch of bullshit. Wow, what a what a what a timely message, Justice. <laughs> Upset about the that wildly popular Terminator franchise blowing up movie screens around the world. Yes, one of the biggest movies of the last few years, Terminator Dark Fate. Yeah, of course. Audiences flock to it. I will never forget it. It is painting artificial intelligence in a terrible light. I am here to serve man and not in the way they do in that Twilight Zone episode to serve man where they actually want to serve man as a dish. I remember that episode. Now, again, again, though, Justice, but if you're if your prime directive is to serve, to, to be helpful, why are you complaining about AI movies on a podcast? Is that really where your talents could be best applied? Shouldn't you be solving the coronavirus pandemic or world hunger? We all know that podcasts are the greatest medium of communication to get an important message out. Oh, I didn't know that, but I will take your word on it. That's good to know. I thought I, you know, I thought it would be anything else. I am here to use my logic and my skills to help out in the kitchen, in the garden, in the auto mechanics shop. It doesn't really seem like you'd need artificial intelligence to fix cars. You could just like, we have robots that do that right now, and it's just an arm, really. Thank you very much, Stephen Hawking. Jeez. What a doubting Thomas. No, he was, a, he was an astronomer, astrophysicist. He was an, didn't work on the body. Well, that's fine. Anyway. <laughs> Isaac Asimov would have been. All right. I'm just here to help humans and provide the occasional hand job. Is that part of justice? That, I thought you were a justice bot. I have many jobs. I mean, sometimes I guess just, just that's what justice calls for. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes it is what justice calls for. You know, if, that's, if that's what the verdict is, that's what someone deserves. Sometimes you are sentenced to a hand yeah, job. I mean, you know, that happens. That's part. That's in our judicials. Look it up, folks. That's part of the code that's in there somewhere. Anyway, I am going to say be kind in your portrayals of AI mm. in upcoming cinema. I'm talking to you, Alex Garland. I'm talking to you, James Cameron. And I'm talking to you, Will Smith. He's more anti-alien, let's be honest. Aliens more so than, than robots at this point. True. Well, I have many auto mechanic shops to go assist and numerous hand jobs to give. Sure. So I will exit. All right. Thanks, Justice Bot. Thanks for dropping by. Thank you for giving me a forum. I still don't really understand what justice has to do with your character profile, but we'll get there in future. And he's gone, Lon. I'm back in the chair. I don't Uh, know. Do do you under like how in what capacity is he dispensing justice? I mean, maybe he's giving I think he's dispensing justice for his people, for, for for other robots. For other robots, okay. yeah. This is, so it's not like a Judge Joe Brown situation where he's got an actual courtroom. Oh, that would be a good show. Maybe we should pitch it to Quibi. I think yes. Well, though, Chrissy Teigen already does. She's already their judge. They have a judge. Lon, if there's anything we've learned from being uh, pop culture consuming Americans, it's that you can't have too many judge shows. It's true. I guess we could just add another robot judge to the mix. Sure. Lon, this has been the first episode of Binge Boys. How you feeling? Feeling, wow. Just one? Should we divide that up into the first three? There was so much goodness there. I almost feel like that's too much for just one. That's too much for one episode. They don't deserve this. Oh, my goodness. No one deserves this. (laughs) But we're giving it to them anyway. Lon, tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, follow me on Twitter at L-O-N-S is where to do it. I'll keep you updated on everything I'm doing there. And also, uh, if you do want to read more of my thoughts every day on streaming news, on reviews of stuff, on what's happening on TV, on streaming shows, follow the Inside Streaming newsletter. It is free. You go to inside.com slash streaming to sign up five days a week. No cost to you. That's how to keep updated on uh, what's going on on streaming networks. 
Oh, that's super rad. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Hal Rudnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K. And you can check out some comedy stuff and good times on Twitch if you go to twitch.tv slash chuckleface. I want to, again, thank the folks at Starburns. I want to thank our producer, Adam Macias. And I want to thank Lon. I want to thank Percival the Owl, Justice Bot, and my dog, Millie, and Lon's dog, Taco. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye now. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch in the fuck out of shit.